On this episode of Reliterated, we explore a book that 90s kids are either a couple of years too old to have read, or they've forgotten they've read it at all. Some may faintly remember a story about a boy who runs a lot. Maybe they have an inkling that this kid untied a knot that no one else could untie. Surely they have forgotten the story about broken homes, divided towns, connections made, and loved ones lost. Let's dive into a tale full of bravery, tasty snacks, social dilemmas, and flappy shoes. It's Maniac McGee on Episode 3 of Reliterated, the hot librarian that's totally been checking you out. Welcome to Reliterated, the lowbrow book club where three completely unqualified man children read the children's books we grew up with, were assigned to read in school or were otherwise popular during our childhood in the 90s, and reflect on the lessons we took away from them back then, if any, and compare them to how they read now from our current day perspective as grown ass men. We use language too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. And boy, will we be running on the rail of sensitive topics tonight, but we'll get to that in a bit. First, let's uh, introduce ourselves. I'm Andy, and my favorite snack cake would have to be Little Debbie Strawberry Shortcakes. I'm Harold, and my favorite snack cake, closest I can come to it, would be Fudge Rounds. I'm Josh, and my favorite stat cake are Nutty Bars. All right, and there's a very good reason that we shared our favorite snack cakes. But first, before we get into our book of this episode, we'd like to thank everybody who has been listening to us. We, at at this time of recording, with just two episodes, we've gotten 122 separate downloads and I'd like to give a special thanks to my buddy Adam Salgett. When I put the call out on Facebook when we were at 99, I I said, you know, give us give a response here, and I'll give you a shout out for being the hundredth download. And Adam, you hit it. So special thanks to you, and thanks to everybody else who's uh, who's been listening to us. Absolutely, the, uh, we're doing more than I thought we would when we first started this, and I'm glad that it's interesting and. Uh, we're going to keep trying to make it that way. Thanks for listening. I'm I'm glad that you are enjoying what we're talking about even though we go off on tangents. But you know, that's part of <laughs> it's part of the fun of of doing this. And you know, it's part of podcasting. Yeah. And you know, it, it, I I enjoy being able to go to in, how can I say this? I enjoy going back and being able to look at things from a new perspective. And sometimes, mm-hmm. like this, in this case, I had never read it when I was younger. So this was a whole new book to me. So I'm also getting to have new experiences as well as just, as well as follow-ups. And that book that he's talking about is Maniac McGee. And this is actually a book that I brought up. Uh, I remember this book when I read it when I was younger. I didn't remember specifically everything about it. Uh, I remembered that he ran a lot. I remembered that he did a few other things that were these feats of, not feats of strength, but they were feats that would be legendary to kids. Right. 
Yeah, we tackled this book in fourth grade. This is <laughs> was given to us. Uh, I mean, here, you and I were in separate fourth grade classes, right? Uh, did you have Mrs. Rogers? Uh, no, I had Mrs. Post. Yep, we had separate so, yeah. fourth grade <laughs> classes. But we, but it was part of the fourth grade curriculum for some reason, and uh, <laughs> I, I obviously don't remember too much about the story because. All I really remembered about Maniac McGee was he was just a kid who ran around a lot and uh, his shoes uh, fell up, were like fall apart and flapping around or whatever. And uh, I also have a, another memory associated with Maniac McGee that I'll get to when we get to that part of the story. <laughs> but it's something that came up as I was reading it and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I remember that and I can't believe I did that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this book was written by a gentleman named Jerry Spinelli. Uh, he started his writing career with a poem about a football team, his local football team that won a big game against the best team in the state. And his dad actually published it in the local newspaper without him knowing. And when he saw it, he decided that he was going to be a writer and not a cowboy or a uh, baseball player. He spent 25 years working regular day jobs before he released his first book, uh, Space Station 7th Grade. It was published in 1982. And eight years later is when we got the Newbery Award winning book, Maniac McGee. He hails from... Published in 1990. Yeah. Yep, 1990. He hails from uh, Pennsylvania, which is the same state that Maniac McGee is based in. And this book uh, is a really good book. I would recommend people read this book. It was fun. It's uh, goes goes through all kinds of themes that you almost wouldn't expect them to put in a fourth grade curriculum. But at the same time, it does make sense to give this to kids at that age so they can kind of read it and wonder why things are the way they are in the book. It sold- yeah, I think Jerry Spinelli showed showed off his, uh, his talents as a writer in spades with Maniac McGee. Very deserving of that Newbery medal, in my opinion. Very true. It sold 3.3 million copies, which, seeing as though the book at this point is 30 years old, I... I think that's kind of a shame, but it's also awesome. I mean, I've never sold 3.3 million of anything. <laughs> I just think that this book is more deserving of some uh, time in the spotlight with people, even today. In fact, specifically today in, in the world we live in, it's a good book to show kids some of the harder things that are truths in our daily lives. It's fun. There's adventures. It's it's a good book. Right. And I wanted to say a couple of things about the Newbery Medal. Uh, it's uh, there's one winner of that of that award per year. Uh, it's been going on for uh, like since the 1940s, I want to say. Uh, but only one only one book wins that award a year to the author of the most distinguished contribution to American literature for children. Uh, in the year of publication. So you can't be nominated uh, multiple years in a row. And uh, I want to ask you guys if you know whether – did Charlotte's Web win a Newbery Award? I, I believe it did. Know. Do you I, think it did? I think it did. The book is sitting over on a desk right it now. Did. It actually did not. It did not. Hmm. Charlotte's Web was not a Newbery Award winner. It was a runner-up in 1953 to a book called Secret of the Andes. Hmm. Ooh. Well, Andes, what is the secret? <laughs> yes, please tell us a secret, Andes. <laughs> the, 
The secret is Charlotte's Web is not good enough for a Newberry Award. Oh, but it was the runner-up. <laughs> I blame that sheep. But there has been some, <laughs> like that sheep. There's been some criticism of the of the Newberry Award that uh, they they don't give it to books that that kids go after. They just go f- go to books that um, adults think are good for kids. I can see that, and I guess I could see that with this book. But I mean. It is a good book, and I think that it would be good for kids to read it. In fact, I was already thinking when I was reading it, I'm glad that I have this book now because when Bruce gets to the point and Clark, when they get to the point where they can read chapter books, I'm going to be like, hey, check out Maniac McGee. It's a good book. I think it has good good lessons and good imagery and themes all the way through it. And the main protagonist is very, very likable, very pure. Very, very relatable. Oh, yeah. I actually remember when I was a kid, I think one of the things that I loved about Maniac McGee, because I know I read this book more than once back then, is like you're saying, the relatability that you have with him. And at the time, you know, I had certain things going on for my family and all that. And, you know, seeing like the bravery of this kid and how he how he ran off. And I would almost see that as a reason people might not want kids to read the book, but just thinking of how he ran off and he was on his own. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, when you get down to it, it's about a homeless child. It's about a homeless homeless child. Yeah. A homeless child. Who's amazingly good at all kinds of things for no known reason. He just (laughs) is very, very athletic uh, a runner, a football catcher, uh... but the, that could be part of his legend, that, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I was going to ask you guys: Do you guys have any local legends? Do you have any people in your community that were like that did just like crazy or amazing things at all, or just like weird things? I don't really think so. Not that I know of, but I moved around a lot, so yeah. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't really raised in a very like tight knit community where we knew everybody. Like, it's it's easier for like a story with a with a setting in like a city where everybody knows each other and everybody gets around and uh or whatever. And but uh, I didn't really grow up with any kind of mythical uh mythical people right <laughs> like, <laughs> local legends any... <laughs> <laughs> well like what kind of local legends are were were out in, in our area well let me tell you guys let let me introduce you guys to a, to a man um i, I don't want to change his name i want to give him a shout out if he ever listens to this uh his name his name is Shannon and uh, it's actually a kind of a legendary thing because he was just weird and crazy. He did the weirdest things like uh, he had he put a record player in his car uh, to black out his windows. He just painted the inside of them. <laughs> uh, what else did he do? He had a citation like you, Harold. Oh, uh, the citation. 1982 yeah, Chevy <laughs> Citation. Yeah, he had a citation. That's the that's when he blacked out the windows with the paint. Um, he had a chicken, a pet chicken named El Bazurco. Uh and his mom was also legendary. She had a very particular way of of speaking, and she had very she actually had catchphrases in our school because of the weird things that she would say. Um, and the only way I could say it is in this voice. So. She would basically yell out, Shannon, how's your hair? 
like asking him <laughs> if he look, was looking okay or Shannon turn down that DC talk that's straight from the devil because any <laughs> any type of rock music was was from the devil so <laughs> DC talk oh man DC so, talk being of the devil yeah, uh, a song. They're a, they're a Christian band. DC stands for decent Christians. Yeah. So not even Christians can decide what's what's good and what's not. So oh, yeah, man. so that is the that is the legend uh, in our in our and that was in our school and our area. Oh, uh, he would he and he play basketball and he'd just throw up these sh- these shots that you were like, why would you even do that? And they would go in. It was the weirdest thing in the world. Okay, now we're talking. Now that's something legendary. That's like that. everything else is yep. just like eccentric. This this here is yep. legendary skill. So, he once caught a carp with his teeth. It was crazy. I mean, I would believe that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you got to start doing. I you wish add I knew things more stories it. like that. Yeah. Yeah. These tall tales that get taller with the telling. Well, Maniac McGee had legends of his own. Uh the story before the story is people say that he was born in a dump. They claim that his stomach was a cereal box and his heart was a sofa spring. They also claim that he kept an eight inch cockroach on a leash and that rats stood guard over him when he slept. And uh, also, if you sprinkled salt on the ground when he was running through in two or three blocks, he'd be running as slowly as everybody else. Uh, one of the amazing things about him is that he runs and uh, they these myths about him and these stories come from this idea of this place that they're in. And there's an East end and a West end in this town, two mills, Pennsylvania. And they have uh, stories about him that have gone on since obviously the stories being told from a time later, probably when he's already an adult, but the kids all still have uh, legends there. Uh, There's a little rhyme that girls will sing when they're flicking uh, what's it called? A, a jump rope. Jump rope. And they say, maniac, maniac, he's so cool. Maniac, maniac, don't go to school. Runs all night, runs all right. Maniac, maniac, kissed a bull. And uh, there's questions as to whether it was really a bull that he kissed. And sometimes when this is happening, one of the girls holding the rope is from the east end and one's holding the other side from the west end. And there's an important reason for that that we get to in a little bit here. I liked uh, how they end that before the story, how you don't know which parts are true and which parts are just made up. And the way he says to uh, to decide is just run your hand under your movie seat and be very, very careful not to let the facts get mixed up with the truth, which is, again, I there were so many things in this book that kind of like play into our current current social climate it's it's pretty wild right and they talk about uh how if one girl and one end of the jump rope is from the east side and one girl and the girl on the other side is from the west side and that's a uh, a good place to start uh, if you're looking for maniac mcgee's legacy yeah yep that's kind of the characterization of what he what he brought to the table with his uh with his being and this is mainly because he he just didn't he didn't see what everybody else saw in this town when he got there. Now, Maniac was born in a regular house and he was born not too far away from this town of two mills. Uh, One day his parents left when he was three years old and they were involved in a 
trolley crash over top of the Skullakill River, and they ended up dying. So he became an orphan as as a toddler. Now, Josh, and you said you had something yes, about that. I looked up to find out if there was a trolley accident, and I based it on the year that it was written, and so he would have been... And I, so I, I based it in like the 80s, so I tried to find a trolley accident from that time period, and there was a trolley mm-hmm. accident in January 26, 1987. No one was killed, though, but if you look it up, there's a super 80s news report on YouTube that you can watch, <laughs> and it's awesome. But there was a crash in 2014 into that uh, was basically exactly like the book. So 2014? 20, uh, 2014, correct. The P and W high speed trolley is the is where uh, Maniac's parents died, which is a a real trolley line, but it was absorbed by the uh, the greater uh, train system of Philadelphia. So basically, Philadelphia took it over. It's like SP. I'm not sure. It's the public transit of Philadelphia. Well, at this time, <clears throat> he wasn't known as Maniac. He was just known as Jeffrey Lionel McGee, and he went to live with his Aunt Dot and Uncle Dan, and they were strict Catholics that hated each other but would not get a divorce because they were strict Catholics. So as time goes by when he's living there, they have two bathrooms, two TVs, two toasters. If it's possible to have two of them, they had two of them. And if they could have had two of Jeffrey, they would have had two of him as well. But they split him up instead. So one night he would have dinner with Aunt Dot. And the next night he would have dinner with Uncle Dan. These two people never talked to each other. And basically, you'd have to know that if they're not giving any love to each other, then they're probably not giving any love to this kid because they're so broiled in their hatred for each other that how could they possibly... So right, he, and this is the first example of um, of Jeffrey's reaction to division between between two people, or you know, two two groups of people, yep, whatever. But he's he's forever being for being kind of forced in the position between two divided entities, I suppose, and that's a common theme that we're going to see here. Yep, and he he doesn't. It doesn't really say anything about him not liking either one of them. I'm sure he liked both of them just fine. Yeah. And he wanted them to get along. Yep. Yeah, that's really all he wanted. Uh, he spent that's why eight he ran years away. like that. Yep. Eight years like that till he was 11 years old. And there was a chorus or a spring show at uh, yeah, like a, school. Like an elementary school concert. Yep. Yep. Like an elementary school concert. Where they, where they shuffle all the kids in and force them to sing something. <laughs> Yo, yeah. Whether they can sing or not. Every kid has to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it is a rite of passage in public elementary school. Were you part of the Christmas one in uh, Mackler Sodden? I always... I, yeah. I, I distinctly remember I played the role of the nuisance in <laughs> in our class's Christmas play okay. in fourth grade. Yep. No, I which just was ended which up was being a fitting role for me because I remember back in fourth grade I was like an insufferably insufferable class clown that was frequently getting in trouble for trying to make my class laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I was a pretty quiet kid at the time. I. I didn't do a whole lot of that, so I ended up in the chorus. Uh, I remember because I really wanted one certain part. It was uh, an elf, 
and actually Ooh. had speaking lines and everything. And I actually wanted the part because I had a crush on the girl that was playing opposite that guy. So mm. it wasn't for good reason. And it wasn't like I was like, <laughs> I want to be an actor. I mean, it's <laughs> the only reason you want to do anything. In, <laughs> right, in it, is a, it is a common motivation. Well, both the aunt and uncle had to sit in the same auditorium for this. Uh, there was no way to get around it. They couldn't have two spring shows. Right. And one, one show, both of them had to attend. Yep. One sat on one side, the other sat on the other side. And they were singing a song called Talk to the Animals. And it's unclear as to whether Jeffrey was screaming the whole time or if he didn't start until it got towards the end. But when all the noise went down, he was screaming with his face red and cords in his neck. And he was just saying, talk, 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 will you just talk? And he, that was the birth scream of the legend is how it puts it. And he started running. He took a few steps down off the stage, jumped out, ran out into the starry night. And he was never again to live in that house. And he never again went to school after that. Which makes me think that this book, even though it's written in the 90s, because Jerry Spinelli would have been older at that point already, I feel right. like technically it was written in the eighties, right? Like the right. late eighties, and then published in nine in nineteen ninety. I still feel like the time period of the book is meant to be the seventies. It, it, it just kind of feels like it doesn't. It, it yeah. feels like the seventies, but there's something that comes around later in the book that kind of uh, puts it. Uh, I don't know if we want to to jump ahead that far. Yeah, but, no, uh, we can get back to there's it. A very, uh, there's a very specific thing that kind of dates. Uh, it's around the character of Grayson and something that he did mm. in his past. Mm -hmm. But yep. that's that's not until later on. I don't know if we want to touch nope. on it now just so we can talk about the time period uh, that it's in. Well, what do time period does on. it put it in? You don't have to talk about the specific thing, but just kind of... Well, Grayson talks about his time playing in, in minor league baseball and uh, striking out Willie Mays in his last at-bat before uh, moving up to the MLB. Okay. And that would, yep, have that, it. that would have happened in 1951. Oh. And it specifically says that Grayson was 27 in 1951. Okay. And he played, in, so, but uh, we could... We can come back to that later, or we can yep. try to pin a time period based on based on that. Yeah. We can come back to it later. Right. Let's do that. All right. Back to the birth of the legend. Yep. Uh, Maniac McGee, who was Jeffrey at that time, he started out in Hollidaysburg, and where he stopped was Two Mills. And apparently this is about 200 miles distance. And it takes a while on foot, but it took a whole year for him to get there. And he was a legendary runner. That's one of his legends. Uh, so they don't know what happened during that time. It's the lost year in his legend because from that time to that time, no one knows. And no yeah, one knows why he stayed. From Holidaysburg all the way to Two Mills. Two yep. Mills, by the way, is uh, loosely based on Jerry Sp Jerry Spinelli's hometown, Norristown, Pennsylvania, which is still in the Philadelphia area, but okay. it's a, across the Skull, the Skullkill River from Schoolkill. <laughs> it's a weirdly weirdly Schooly, spelled. Schoolkill. Schoolkill. S C H U I L K I L L. I feel like people would just call it the Skullkill River. Skullkill. Skullkill. <laughs> 
Not oh, being people, from Pennsylvania. I don't listeners know. in Pennsylvania are yelling at us right now. Yeah. It's Skewy Kill. <laughs> it's Shuyul Kill. I'm not Shush. even going to try because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want anybody to throw a battery at it's me. It's the something. Stanford River. You can't tell that Stanford. <laughs> I have I have Pennsylvania family, but they're all in Pittsburgh. <laughs> which is on the other side of the state from Philadelphia. And Pennsylvania is a long, boring state. <laughs> Sorry, it's a long, mountainous state, too. Oh, my goodness. When we went to Connecticut, it felt like it took us three days to drive through Pennsylvania. There were points where you'd go, there'd be an exit, and I swear it was 30 miles to the next exit. It was crazy. <laughs> Just long, winding, uh, hilly mountain roads mixed with the longest damn tunnels. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All that driving around in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. Sorry. So he was born in Bridgeport, which is right across the river from Two Mills. And there's that possibility. Maybe that's why he stayed. Uh, he could have just been tired of mo- being on the move. Uh, but... Most people think that the reason he stayed was because he made a friend. Uh, The few people that remember him from that first day, they remember one specific thing about him. And it has something to do with the way the town is. The town's kind of obviously not very close with each other. These people that live there don't get really close with each other. And they're not used to strangers saying hi. And he had ran past some people and just said hi. And it kind of knocked him back a little bit. Like, what? Nobody just says hi to anybody. Uh, I like the description here. A couple people truly remember, and here's what they saw. A scraggly little kid jogging toward them, the soles of both sneakers hanging by their hinges and flopping open like dog tongues each time they came up from the pavement. And I I really like some of the imagery that he has in this book because, I mean, you think about that and – I don't even know how you could possibly be running on shoes like that. You'd think you'd trip, you know, drag them on the ground and just trip. But (laughs) it is it is such good writing. And Spinelli has has a way of has a really, really good way with words and is very oftentimes folksy as fuck. Oh, yeah. Super (laughs) folksy. Just just my way of of saying it. I'm going to chime in whenever I have an underlined passage (laughs) of something that I thought was just folksy as fuck as we, as we go along. Yep. And so there are some long sentences too. I mean, he does not give a shit about writing a long sentence there. One sentence that I read later in the book, I'm reading it and I'm like, is this a, this is not a paragraph. Those are commas. (laughs) Like, holy shit. (laughs) What I liked about that, the section is that he showed both the legend as well as the truth. So that he's right. like, the, like, oh, some people say this, some people say that, but that's not true. Because there was only a few people that remember it, and this is the this is the truth. So that's what I liked. Yeah. It's like, yeah, th- it does show both sides of, of Jeffrey, both Maniac, the legend, and Jeffrey, the boy. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a long, uh, long running theme of legend versus reality and how the two meet and sometimes clash. So the first person that actually stopped and talked to him was a girl named Amanda Beal. And uh, she was walking to school carrying a suitcase. And this stuck out to him because he's a kid that ran away from home. He's he's out there being free and not worried about parents or authority figures and not worried about the, the standard things that hold us all down in the world. And that's one of the things I liked about him is he's just, he's, he's truly free out there, even though most of us would not want to live that way because 
his freedom comes at the cost of not really having much of anything, including friends or, or family or anything at this point. Well, yeah, he's a homeless kid. Yep. So it, what it introduces her with, her first thought is, who is this white stranger kid? And what was he doing in the East End where almost all the kids were black? And why was he saying that? Because he said hi to her. She's friendly, so yeah. she, she says hi back to him. And Jeffrey asked if she was running away, which threw her off. Because she was carrying a suitcase with her. Yep. So it's and not a suitcase. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, it's not an unnecessary question. She was right. carrying a suitcase. Yeah, right. Well, I need the, to think, though, like, if you're running away, I don't know if I'd carry a big old suitcase with me if I were trying to run away. You can't. It seems like it'd be hard to get somewhere with that. You'd be like, I have to pack some stuff into a backpack. And that actually says something, too. Why doesn't she have a backpack? Because she's just carrying books. They're all her books in the suitcase. It's all her books that she's taking with her to school so that they don't get ruined by by her younger siblings and dog. Yep. Who like to to crayon all over her things and... and, uh, the dog will chew on them, so she's protecting her book collection. Yep. Which is another thing of about this story is that there is a big-time appreciation for reading and literacy and books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, J- uh, Maniac loves to read. Uh, even this right here, when she says books, he's like, what? Books? And so she opens. <laughs> it's probably what made this this story uh, Newberry bait, right? Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh yeah, we want this one because oh, they're, they're talking about books. I just, oh. <laughs> I just love to read. <laughs> we need to give Spinelli the award. When I saw how much time he read uh, talked about books, I got rock hard. <laughs> Damn Newberries, <laughs> <laughs> the Newberry Committee. <laughs> they're all hard for literacy. This one has some pretty good imagery to it, too, because when she sits down and opens up the suitcase so he can look at the books, it describes them as rocks in a stream. And everybody else that was on their way to school were just like flowing around them, which I thought was a cool, cool image for him to put in there. And he appreciated all the different books, too, in that. My only thought was, if this was such a weird thing to see, why weren't other people gawking? Because she lives there. So other well, people know she's walking up there with a suitcase full of books. Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. There's a white kid in the East End. and they're <laughs> Oh, just, yeah. Why are they not stopping and staring? Maybe they're just trying to ignore him and get around him. Yeah, that's true. I could see that. They're all anxious to get to school. Yep. Hmm. Yep, they even call out to Amanda that she's going to be late for school, and this is not something that's normal for Amanda. She gets to school on time at all times. But not that day. Not that day. He offered to carry the books for her. She said no. She's really suspicious of him. What is this white kid doing here? Why is he so interested in my books? And she's looking at him, and we, you know, he's got these flap-soled sneakers. He's He's ratty clothes. He probably doesn't look too clean at this point because I don't know where he'd be taking baths other than in a river. And uh, they tell you right here that at this time in the st- in this story, the east end of the city was blacks. The west end was whites. And she's like, I know you're not from this end because he tried to tell her that he lived over there. Yeah. And she's calling him out. Yep. I know you're not from here because this is the black half of town. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no way you live around here. And uh, he tells her, well, Bridge, I'm for Bridgeport. And she asks why, why he's not there. And he says, well, where I'm from isn't where I am. So 
And she tells him to go ask uh, his mother and father, and then she starts walking. Obviously, she wouldn't have known anything about that. He doesn't really say anything to her about his his parents. He doesn't take offense to it or anything like that. They, uh, She's heading to school. He keeps asking, can I have a book? Let me borrow one. She's like, no, no. And he's just <laughs> annoying the shit out of her, asking for a book. He asks for her name. He says he wants he'll take the shortest one. He he just wants a book, wants a book. He won't leave her alone. Finally, she throws a book at him and she's just like, here. And she tells him that she lives at 728 Sycamore. And she also tells him, you can't come there. You can't even be here. So, I mean, she's telling him, like, what are you doing here, man? And he is not getting it. He does not get that. Yeah, it's it's a foreign concept to him. Yeah, he has no because idea. Because he's like, always been able to just go where he wants to go. Yep. So the idea that he can't pretty be much here, stayed away from he's pretty much stayed away from from people at large. So he doesn't know their ways. Right. He just roams around on his own and not never really interacts with with people. But at the same time, so he's kind of not picking up social cues. Right. And at well. the same time, all he's seeing is people. Like he's. For him, he's just seeing people because, again, because he's been away from everybody for the, for this time, no one knows where he's been. Clearly, he hasn't gotten picked up by any authorities or anything and been told what's right and wrong now. he He's just seeing people, human interaction. Yeah. So she threw this book at him. Uh, it, it came flapping like a wounded duck and fell at his feet. Again, the imagery is just great in this book. Folksy. Yep. Yeah. That's folksy. Yep. Great and, use of simile that I guess this is the term for it. Right. He made uh he made a few other appearances that day uh during a football practice during uh recess the star quarterback of the local football team threw a huge pass and it was going towards their best receiver and just as he was going to catch it boom it was gone, and there was just this skinny little white kid running up the field with the ball, and he gets to the end, turns around, tosses it up, and punts it right back into the receiver's hands. Yeah, and, farther uh, than the quarterback had thrown it. Yeah, yeah, farther than the quarterback had thrown it. And the thing everybody noticed, but they had to compare stories after school, was he did all of it with one hand because in his other hand he was carrying a book. Can I say I just absolutely love the uh, the nickname of of this receiver? Oh, yeah. His name is James Down, but his nickname was Hands. Yep, Hands Down. <laughs> they called him they called him Hands Down. Yep, <laughs> have that, which is Hands Down, a great nickname. I have that in my player. notes as well. Put Hands Down <laughs> is a great name. It is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is where the legend of Maniac McGee really starts taking off because he's starting to show his his feats of wonder. Well, I'm gonna say, is this a legend or is this a true thing that happened? What do you it's, think? It seems true enough. I mean, that's that's a pretty wild story for a bunch of people to have actually seen, and they're all football players. So when they see it, you know, that's something amazing. They're all practicing all day long and then they see this kid run up with all of his clothes falling apart and his shoes are barely hanging on and here he is catching the ball with one hand and we know he had the book you know if he's running he couldn't have the book tucked in his pants yeah they probably would have fell out because his pants were rags 
Right. So after that, uh, he ends up at this address of this man named Finsterwald. And we never meet Finsterwald, uh, but he is apparently the scariest person in town. Everybody's afraid of him. And I think everybody has some similar thing in some way where there was a neighbor or somebody that was just a grump that you knew better than to get on their bad side. So you kind of stayed away as a kid. You didn't want to get too close to them. Afraid I was going to ask one of my first uh, underlined passages of Spinelli being fo- folksy as fuck with his simile. <laughs> Kids stay yeah. away from Finsterwalds the way old people stay away from Saturday afternoon matinees at a $2 movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They avoid him like the plague. Oh, for sure. I was going to ask you guys, do you remember any specific, like, scary yards, like Sandlot-type yards that you mm. guys, like, were like, nobody ever, like, they just talked about it in whispers? For me, there was a this little, there's this brick building in Elkton, and everybody's like, oh, that's where the witch lives. Nobody actually, like, I didn't know, <laughs> but all the kids, we just said, oh, that's where the witch lives. But, yeah, nobody knew her or anything. I think right. she just kind of kept to herself and, you know. Just a legend. You know, just about everywhere I lived growing up, there were places where people said this or that happened. You know, like, oh, that's there was a murder there or, you know, just crazy stuff like that. And so that that's what I mean, kind of, is everybody stays away. There's places you stay away from, most likely just because they, they look creepy. You know, I imagine maybe this guy lives in the dead house. Ooh, <laughs> callback. 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 <laughs> so basically the way people look at it is whenever you see some raggedy guy with nicotine stains on his fingers walking around town, they the kids believe that that kid had wandered onto this Finsterwald's property. And as uh, as teenagers or high schoolers are want to do sometimes, there were some dickheads and they had some poor kid, and they threw him over the fence into Finsterwald's yard. And I imagine that even these teenagers, these older high schoolers, did were scared of the yard. That's why they threw him over there is because they're like, yeah, you know, this is scary as shit. We're going to throw this kid over there. And, and that adds to the horror of uh, of getting close to the yard because there might be high schoolers there to throw you over the fence <laughs> into this terrifying Finsterwald place. Right. So this kid's over there in the yard. Arnold Jones is his name. No one ever knows what happens to him later on. Allegedly. Say. Allegedly. <laughs> uh, but they start hearing his uh, teeth rattle- rattling and they're all laughing. They think it's great. And then all of a sudden... <clears throat> Some raggedy kid comes walking up and some say that he jumped right over the fence without ever touching it. And others say that he just opened the gate and walked right in. But he picked Arnold Jones up, put him over his shoulder and walked him out of the yard. Then he took him up and put him on the scarier part of the house, which was the front steps of Finsterwald's. (laughs) So after this kid wakes up because he had passed out and runs off. Maniac just sits down on the steps and starts reading his book. And everybody's just like, what the fuck is he doing? When Arnold came to and discovered that he was on the front porch, he took off like a horsefly from a swatter. (laughs) (laughs) They call him, uh, they saw this kid, cool times 10, stretch out on the forbidden steps and open his book to read. 
So, you know, <laughs> like, again, oh, man, I want to be cool times 10. I know. Cool times 10. <laughs> what the hell, man? I mean, that's great use of words. More of this just legendary action by this by this kid, you know. Mm-hmm. So then local in town on this side of town. Now, now, at this point, I believe we are on to the west side of town. OK, so we're in the white area of town. But there's this family, the Pickwells, and this lady, she whistles so loud that she just grabs the attention of everybody. Her kids will come for miles, they say, and uh, they are never late for dinner. Right. And the whistle these... wasn't loud. It was it was just yep. very well known. Yep, it was the well known. Loud. It wasn't screechy. It was a simple two note job, one high note, one low. But it was it was famous for bringing every pickwell from wherever they were in town, including anybody who uh, who wanted to come to dinner. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, and these people were nice people. They were always helping people out. Mm-hmm. They were They're, always they opened up their dinner table to uh, to strangers and people in need. Yep. Yeah. Giving a hand. They were kind and people. After dinner, uh, someone asked who that kid was, and no one knew. No one knew why this kid was there, and uh, they ran outside <laughs> and they looked up and they saw him running away, and he was running on the railroad, but he wasn't running on the ties, and he wasn't running next to it. He was running on the rail of the train track, which is one of the images that always stuck out to me. That was one of the things that I always remembered was him running on the rails. In fact, I believe when I was telling Josh about this book and that we should read it, that was one of the things I picked out specifically. And I, in fact, when I searched for it, because I couldn't remember the name of the book, I searched for book about kid who runs on rail. And that's how I got Maniac McGee. That that came up. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is definitely the part that definitely sticks out out in my mind. And I believe that's why is because you told me about that part. Yeah, it was one of the main things I remembered about him. And then uh, the last the last time he was spotted on that first day was at a Little League game. Well, the after a Little League game had ended and the pitcher uh, McNabb had struck out everyone in the game. And he was wanting to just continue it on. Uh, McNabb, as he goes further, we kind of see that he's he's kind of a bully. Maybe not necessarily a bully with intent, but just kind of a bully that is because he's bigger than everybody else. People are yeah. already scared of him. So he, he just kind of feeds off that and continues to bully. He's the kid that looks like he's too big to be on the little league team. He's five feet eight uh, at uh, at twelve years old. He's five feet eight, over a hundred and seventy pounds, and he had to bring his birth certificate in to the little league director to prove <laughs> his age. And so he's he's a kid that uh, uses his size to his advantage. I'm currently about five nine and weigh at about one seventy. So he's roughly my size at twelve. <laughs> That's terrifying. Yeah. That is terrifying. Yeah, if, if you're a regular size 12-year-old kid, yeah, that is a giant. I, I knew a kid named Jordan when I was in sixth grade, and he was like six foot in sixth grade. He was a huge kid. There were a couple of them down in Linden, a couple really tall kids. The only pitch that this guy throws is a fastball, but... I mean, he's five foot eight, 170 pounds, throw, pitching fastballs at 12 year olds. Yeah, I imagine that he struck a lot of kids out. <laughs> throw him the heater. <laughs> yeah, but the game is over, and he's just lining, he's forcing the, uh, the kids from both teams to line up and 
and get up to the plate and try to hit his fastballs so he can uh, increase his strikeout record. Yeah, just building more on that, like, ah, I can do what I want. And these kids are, you know, you got to think, I mean, five foot eight, 170 pounds or not, I mean, you've got kids from both of these little league teams and they're in complete fear of this one kid when it's like, I've seen that uh, there's like some kind of, calculator you can use online to find out how many five-year-olds you could take without before you get taken down (laughs) and so i it just easily these kids shouldn't be afraid of him but then again they're all going to be alone at some point so they don't want to they don't want to mess with mcnab right nobody wants to be the first one to make a move (laughs) so yeah he's just throwing the ball and all of a sudden this kid and raggedy clothes comes walking up to the plate and McNabb says nope you can't play you don't you're not part of the team so he grabs a hat off one of the other kids and uh just starts popping these balls out into the outfield couple of home runs way out in the outfield yeah, the first one is a line drive right to uh, oh, to McNabb's yep, head right at the kid like it nips the bill of his cap and sent it spinning like a flying saucer out to shortstop folks and the second one uh <laughs> The second one went out to uh, to center field, I believe, deep in left center field. But then every uh, pitch after that was a home run. Yep. And the other kids are at first. Well, not every pitch. At that, I take that back. The last one, McNabb starts throwing it at <laughs> at Maniac. Yep. Yeah, he gets mad and starts throwing it at him. And the kids throws it are... at his head and calls it strike one. Throws it at his at his belt at his at his stomach. Uh, he, Jeffrey's dodging them. Yeah, but they're still he's still calling them strikes. But the third one, he backs up and hits another another home run off of one that was aimed at his feet. Well, he bunts it. It was a no, frog. That's not the one that he. Oh no, that's, that's not yeah, the one that right. he bunts. No. Yep. Uh, after after the sequence of him, uh, there's a very good reason that I'm <laughs> that I'm going in depth on this. But uh, after he tries to bean Maniac and fails, he he tells the other kids that he's got to go take a leak. And uh, he's gone for a while, and um, they figured that, you know, well, he's a big kid, so his whiz would probably last longer than a regular kid's, might even make the creek rise. <laughs> <laughs> this imagery of peeing so much that it makes the creek rise it got me in trouble <laughs> when we read this in fourth grade because our class was was supposed to draw a scene from uh, from the book that we've read that we had read so far and i chose to draw john mcnab peeing <laughs> into the creek and making the water <laughs> the water level rise and I don't remember if my parents got called in or not, but I certainly got a talking to from this <laughs> post because I also drew the penis. Oh, uh, my! With, <laughs> with the pee coming out of it. Just a little, like, little, little U-shape on the front of him, but distinctly a penis. <laughs> Just a crude drawing of this John McNabb kid peeing you know, into the river. <laughs> outstanding. But, but here's the thing, though. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that you should have. I, I don't know that you should get in too much trouble for that either, though, because, I mean, you're in fourth grade. Do you think you drew the penis with malice? Or do you think you drew the penis? <laughs> That's what penises are for. Yeah. Penises yeah. are for pee. <laughs> I feel like but... as a kid, you're not drawn. You're not as a, as a little kid like that, you know, 
third grade, mm-hmm. fourth grade, you're still pretty young. I feel like you're not necessarily like if you draw a dick, it's not like when you're in high school and you're scratching a dick into a da- a desk or something to get the rise out of people. <laughs> right. I feel like you drew the yeah. penis because you're fourth grade and you're like, I pee out of my penis. And obviously, <laughs> so does this and guy, assumably. For whatever reason, the imagery of making the the creek rise by peeing into it struck some kind of chord with, with me enough that uh, <laughs> I drew that... Uh, weird that I drew something that John McNabb did as, as opposed to anything that Maniac did. But, right, uh, right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, yeah, the- but... <laughs> he comes back from the creek and he's got his uh he's got his ball like the ball in his glove and that he he had a gleam a demon's gleam in his eye he wound up fired the ball header for the plate and what's this a leg ball it's got legs long legs pinwheeling toward the plate it wasn't a ball at all it was a frog and this is where maniac makes a decision he doesn't you know, I would like, I think as I'm thinking about it, if this guy threw, is throwing these fastballs, these really hard flat fastballs, I don't think there's anything that you could do to hopefully save this frog. But for the sake of the story, yeah, maniac. <laughs> I was going to say that. That, yeah. Even though they use it, he bunts it. Uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that frog would still be hurt yeah. in some way, possibly not if not dead. Yeah, <laughs> if that if dead. not killed, but it doesn't <laughs> get killed. He bunts it. It's a perfect bunt. The ball goes uh, up the uh, third ball, baseline. Quotes, <laughs> and uh, he starts running. And he runs. He hits the first base. And McNabb goes to run to grab the ball. And instead of hopping over the foul line, it hops back over his foot and he's chasing this frog now and Maniac makes it all the way around and gets a home run uh, off a bunt. And then he just keeps running. He hits the home plate and grabs his book and keeps running. Mm -hmm. And he became legendary for hitting the world's first inside the park bunted frog ball. (laughs) Yep. It was unbefroggable. Unbefroggable. I just hit, but uh, unbefroggable. <laughs> I just hit that as well. <laughs> just yes. looking through it, like, oh, unbefroggable. <laughs> so that was actually how he got the name Maniac. That was when people started calling him Maniac. They were buzzing. It was buzzing all over town. This kid's carrying a book. He's got flaps, old sneakers. He intercepted a football. He rescued Arnold Jones. And then he knocked this frog ball and got a got a home run off of it. And they're saying kids got to be a maniac. And, you know, it just starts getting around. Next thing you know, they're all they're all just calling a maniac. And everybody else called him that except for Amanda Beal. She didn't call him maniac. Uh, She's the only one he told his actual name to. Yep. So far. And he he has a name now. He has a legendary name, but he doesn't have an address yet. He actually is sleeping in the deer shed at the zoo. And he eats the the carrots and apples and old hamburger buns that are there. So this is, again, talking about that, like, oh, man, he's free. He gets to do whatever he wants. But, yeah, he's eating the scraps that the deer are eating to try and get by. Uh, He read the book. He reads it quickly. He gets through it, and then he reads it again and reads it again, and he means to take it back, but he just can't stop reading this book. Well, I want to talk uh, about this when... book. What do you know about? Do you know about the book? 
Children's Crusade? Yes. Do you know yeah, about I the children's? I have not looked into it. So the Children's no. Crusade was a uh, was a part of the Civil Rights Movement. It was used in Birmingham, Alabama, actually to desegregate the city and the schools. And it was huh. uh, kids Uh-oh. and teens were trained in nonviolent protest. So sit-ins and, you know, going to protests, but nonviolent. And so okay. this book itself is a civil rights, is, is a part of the civil rights that are, are being uh, taught in the book as well. It, it, it teaches Jeffrey more about equality and how he could, yeah. he can do things peacefully, nonviolently, rather mm. than okay. fighting. Although it does make you wonder why he was so like shocked by the presence of <laughs> segregation that he, uh, that he comes upon. Well, I mean, he's already come upon the segregation, and maybe that's why he reads the book so many times. Yeah, he was kind of confronted about it, but he still wasn't quite getting it. Right. Well, it was a... When Amanda was was saying, what are you doing in the black side of town? Right. It was a book of the past, so he could have been like, well, I thought they already got through this. What's going on? Why is this still like this if, if they already fought against this? Right, presumably right. this book is telling the story of how they fought it. So, yeah, to him. Yeah, but maybe l- later means- on, it's like his his views on race are a little bit more, a uh, little bit more detached than they probably would be if you're reading a book about the Children's Crusade. Right. Yes, he's still still a little detached from it. So it's it's curious. So he runs around during the day. Uh, he keeps the book in perfect condition. And then he comes to something uh, that gets in his way about it. Uh, McNabb is pissed that he beat him and he didn't like having that on his record. And he figured that beating up a kid is the same as striking him out. So he had a gang of guys that called themselves the Cobras and they were going to go find Maniac McGee and they were going to beat him up. They had heard that he hung around the park and the tracks and they go out there looking for him. And on a Saturday, they happen to find him and they start chasing him. But, you know, Maniac is a crazy good runner. So he keeps running. He's getting out there. They're throwing rocks at him. They peg him a couple times with these rocks, but it doesn't really stop him. And how they found him, he was actually running on the rail again. And they had thought that that was just a a story. But no, they see him, he was actually doing that. It wasn't Uh, a trick. It was true. He comes past uh, the house where he ate the spaghetti. He thought he could go there, but he was like, oh man, I got to keep going. He's moving around, darting around. And he starts uh, running through over a creek. And he ends up basically running as fast as he can seeing a blur of faces and he noticed that all of a sudden they were getting faint they were going in the background he couldn't hear them anymore and they had stopped at a street called hector street and what he didn't realize that they knew was that hector street was the barrier that's where the white kids didn't cross hector street into the east end and the the black kids didn't cross hector street into the west end but maniac he ran right across he didn't think anything of it, but it's getting close to it's later in the day at this point, And he's they're like, no, we're not going to do that. But they figured he's going to get the crap kicked out of him when he's over there. But he didn't know any of this. He goes in and he runs into a kid. 
almost runs into a kid. He had to stop, and this kid is walks towards him, and he takes a step back, and this guy comes forward again. He steps back again, and finally he just turned, and he started walking away, and the kid jumped in front of him, and he's eating a candy bar, and he tells Maniac tells the kid, hey, I'm looking for Sycamore Street, and the guy's like, yeah, okay, I know where that is, and he's like, okay, can you tell me? And they describe it as stone being softer than the kid's glare. This kid's like, no, I'm not telling you. And other kids start saying, you know, waste him, get him Mars. And they go into telling us that, you know, this kid is another legend, kind of, in this part of town, uh, Mars Bar Thompson. And he gets called Mars Bar because he's always got Mars Bar candy bars that he's eaten and he offers a bite to maniac and maniac chops down on a bite like yeah sure takes it and didn't flip it over to take the end that hadn't been bitten off didn't do anything like that just took a bite off of it like thanks man this is great and all the kids are blown away because this white kid just took a bite off of a candy bar that a black kid was eating and he didn't even try to like eat the other end. And they're just, you just don't do that. And almost in this way that they're only, not only that, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that he, it was that he was black. It was because it was Mars bars. Nobody ate Mars bars, Mars bar, except for Mars. What, what? Right, right. No. But I mean, it even says not only that, but white kids just didn't put their mouths where black kids had theirs, be it soda bottles, spoons, or candy bars. So I mean, like that's yeah. Definitely- but what I I think he's pointing out the fact of this legend is that you don't mess with Mars, especially you don't mess with Mars bars. Oh, for sure, they're... for sure. Yeah, part of that is true. Yeah, yeah. But also, it it harkens back to the fact that uh, there were separate drinking fountains for for blacks and whites, right? Separate separate pools that uh, swimming pools that uh, <laughs> they could use or couldn't use. Oh, right. Yes, it's, segregation it's just, was very. It's still very real. I lived in Milwaukee, it, which is the most segregated city in America. So I point, truly understand how that works. At this point, what it is is it's not. It's not enforced. It's not something that's enforced. It's ingrained. It's be, been so ingrained in our society for so many years. Yeah. Decades. It's not official, but it right. survived. It survives <laughs> in its own way and mm-hmm. gets held on to by by both sides of it sometimes. So uh, he he's like, what the fuck is this kid doing? So Mars Bar's like thumps him in the chest like, what the fuck, man? You think you're a badass or something, you know? Maniac's like, I didn't know. I, what's going on here? Like you offered me a bite of your candy bar and now you're pissed at me? What the fuck, you know? <laughs> uh, he doesn't know. He It even says, I don't know, one minute you're yelling at me and the next minute you're giving me a bite of your candy bar. What's up, dude? <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and so he tells, uh, he tells Maniac to tell him he's bad. And he says, you know, it's none of your business. None of my business if you're bad or not. Let your mother or father tell you. And that's just like, you know, this kid's just flabbergasted. Like, what is up with this fucking guy? And it's uh, because it's because Maniac doesn't understand slang. He, he, he hasn't been around people, so he doesn't yeah. understand that bad is like like a, a good thing. If you're bad, right. you're bad. He, right. He's he, just like, no, if you're bad, uh, your parents will tell you if you're a bad person. I'm not one to judge, so I don't know. He's getting around this... Uh, um, this intimidation 
by just like sheer obtuseness. Yep. <laughs> being being ignorant that he should be afraid of of this of this bad dude. Right. Who who very much gets by on his reputation of being a bad dude. So and a lot of Mars bar. I've oh, noticed that ahead. a lot of maniacs, a lot of maniacs, uh, legends circle like, revolve around how he got the better of known known entities within the town. Like you got Brian Dennehy, the quarterback. He caught a a, a pass from him that was uh, intended for hands down. Another fa- another dude famous for his uh, for his qualities. He's got, he takes on the the Finsterwald Yard and he takes on Mars Bar and he's just. And John McNabb, the, the big kid who throws throws fastballs, and he's just taken all of these existing local legends down a peg. And none of it's mean-spirited. He's not doing it just to take down these local legends. It's like, I think that when he went to play baseball or when he went to hit the ball, he just wanted to hit the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. When he caught the football, he just wanted to catch the football. He wanted to punt it, you know. Uh, he didn't want to see some kid get tossed into a yard. He could tell this kid's getting picked on. He's like, what the hell are you guys doing, you know, and just helped him out. He isn't doing it with malice. And even with this with Mars, he's not doing it with malice. He's just like, you know, I mean, can't we just be friends, kind of? You know, like, why we? <laughs> why do we have a problem? Well, Mars grabs the book out of his hand, and maniac ends up grabbing it back from him but one of the pages gets ripped out and at this point uh mars bars uh, maniac's asking for the book back and, or the page and mars tells him you know take it fish belly which is a name that comes up uh but he calls him fish belly and everything is quiet nobody knows what to do and all of a sudden a broom comes down in between the two of them and this lady is like, you know, I'll take it. She takes the the page from Mars Bar and gives it back to, or she tells him to give it back to Maniac. And so he he does, because even though he's a tough-ass 11-year-old, this lady's got a broom and she's young enough that she's like, I'll fuck you up, boy. You know, and so he's like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it talks about how Mars Bar was intimidating towards all the uh, all the kids even in the, the high schoolers and old ladies and he could stop traffic with his super slow dip stride slump shuffle oh yeah but he could not stand up against an east end lady in her prime nope <laughs> nope she had it up on him <laughs> which that whole um the whole reputation of like you don't mess with a black mama, yep. or you don't mess with uh, a <laughs> with a with a black woman, they will take you take you out. Yep. <laughs> so he he ends up giving the page back, and the lady's looking, and she's like, "You better get on, boy. Where you belong, you know. Just get out of here, you know." And he's like, I don't, you know, I, I'm okay. And so he he just walks away from there. Well, actually, he, he stood there for a minute. Yeah, he did stand there for a minute. <laughs> it said he, there was something he felt like doing, and maybe he would have, but the lady turned and went back inside her house and shut the door. So he walked away. I think he just mm-hmm. wanted to hug her. I think he wanted to hug her and be like, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. For, yep. Thank you for saving me. So now he's upset because he's borrowed this book from Amanda. He's kept it in pristine condition through all his adventures. And as he was going to take it back to her, a page has been ripped from it. And he is trying to figure out how to fix it. He's thinking, you know, he's flattening it out and he just knows it's crumpled and 
Oh, so he's looking around. He's just going slowly now at this point. He wasn't really in a hurry to find her. And he runs into Mars Bar again. And at this point, Mars Bar is kind of going at him. He wants the book again. He's trying to stick to this whole whole same spiel he was doing before. And uh, they get him. He gets him backed up against a wall. And uh, then that's when suddenly a bike rolls up, and it's Amanda. And she is she is not happy to see her book is ripped. I thought it was funny that she instantly knew that it was Mars that did it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She knew it was Mars that she, did it. Yeah. She could tell. She knows that he's lying. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. So oh, she's... and how quickly he was like, it was him. Uh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Clark. like, he knew what was coming. <laughs> Every time something happens, I can watch Clark do something wrong, and I'll be like, Clark, and he'll go, Bruce did it. <laughs> you little liar. <laughs> So, <laughs> should probably preface to the, to any listeners who may not be familiar. Bruce and Clark are Harold's sons. Yes, who are awesomely named Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent. Yes, <laughs> in case you, in case you don't know, is a. Uh, his family tree. <laughs> yeah, people seem to like that. I'm glad they do because uh, I was I questioned it after we named them. I'm like, did I do something wrong? But no, everybody seems <laughs> right. to people like gonna, it. People are going to laugh. Or people think it's going to be weird. Yeah, no, it's like everyone yeah, who They're good, strong total... names. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bruce and but Clark. Anyways. It, people don't walk around calling me Harold Fred. So, I mean, it's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, so she's mad because, you know, she's she does everything she can to not have people ruin her books. And here this guy ruins ruins her book. She tears Mars Bar a new one. And uh, all the high schoolers that are playing basketball across the street are laughing their asses off at this kid getting his ass torn out by this, this little girl. <laughs> so Maniac mm-hmm. tells her we can fix it. And she asks if he wants to come to her house. And this is where uh, Maniac comes in and and gets to meet the Beal family, who are some very nice people that, you know, the mom is busy at this point cleaning crayon off the TV and whatever else the kids have drawn on. And she knows his first name is Jeffrey. She asks for his last name, which is when we get the McGee. And uh, Mrs. Beal is like, yeah, I'm busy right now. Hold on. Because she was introducing Jeffrey or Maniac to her mother. And so her mom starts telling him about how she came home and she said this and she said that. And Amanda's getting all uh, embarrassed, like, come on, mom, I didn't say all that, you know. <laughs> yeah, Which Amanda's really, told her mom say- about about uh, about Jeffrey yep, already. Yep, And she really didn't say much. She didn't say anything specific about him, but she just didn't want her mom to be saying <laughs> anything. Like, stop, I don't want you to know, I don't want him to know I was talking uh, he meets her brother and sister, Hester and Lester. Uh, Hester is four and Lester is three. And these kids are wild ones. <laughs> so, wild children, yes. Yep, wild children. But it's perfect for We Maniac. already know that they uh, that they cran up uh, Amanda's books. They, like She has to protect her books from them. So they have a, a reputation already. Mm-hmm. But uh, when we when we get into the house for the first time, they're in the next room breaking a breaking glass jars. Yep. <laughs> while while mom is distracted cleaning up crayon off the TV screen, so these kids are out of control. Mm-hmm. 
But it's perfect for Maniac. He goes out and he is he's out there playing with him, wrestling, having fun. It's all a good time. He's not worried about it. And uh, Dad gets home from his Saturday shift at the tire factory. Uh, they eat dinner and they're watching TV. And the the two kids are riding on his knees, on Maniac's knees there. And uh, later on, he reads Lyle Lyle Crocodile to the two little ones. And actually, the parents and Amanda sit and listen to him as well. At this point, Mrs. Beale is like, okay, so probably time for you to get home. Your parents are going to be worrying. And he didn't, he wanted to say something, but he didn't. He just got into the car with dad, Mr. Beale. They start driving down the road and they only make it a few, few houses or a couple streets down. They never even make it out of the East End. And Maniac says, oh, I live here. And Mr. Beale's like, you know, I don't necessarily he, he know. He knows that this white kid doesn't live here. You don't live here. <laughs> this, this is, I know that that house has a black family in it, so I know you don't live here. And he kind of starts, his lip starts quivering. He's almost crying, and he basically tells him he lives at the deer shed. And that's when Mr. Beal's like, well, you're coming to live with us. Which <laughs> This will not stand. Yep. I will not have this. This nice little kid <laughs> going and sleeping in a deer pen. Yeah. So for the first time in a year, Maniac McGee has an address. He even, before going to bed, uh, he gets Amanda's room. Amanda shares a room with Hester and Lester at this point. And Maniac walks downstairs and looks outside and looks at the 728. And he smiles and he says goodnight and he goes back upstairs and he lives there he lives there for a little while with them they don't they don't give an extreme amount of time how how long he was there but it's summertime it's probably end of spring beginning of summer at this point and he's there for a while cuz it gets to the hottest part of summer while he's still living there uh he fit in in the family and it was it was as if he was just part of the family. Yeah. Uh, the one interesting thing is, is even though he now has a home, he still likes to sleep on the floor. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I really like the imagery is lying on a mattress gave him a weird feeling of slowly rising on a scoop of mashed potatoes. That's just, yeah. I like that. I like that image. <laughs> I love and that like, too. I had like, that underlined as well. Yeah. I nice. like that one. Yeah, but uh, Maniac is like the perfect kid. He plays plays with Hester and Lester and read them stories, kept them out of trouble. He takes the dog out, the dog named Bow Wow, <laughs> takes him out for runs uh, in the early morning, does, a di- does dishes, does chores without anybody asking him to. Uh, and Mrs. Beale calls it the miracle on Sycamore Street that he keeps his bedroom neat. Yep. Almost as if he isn't even sleeping in the bed, which yeah. happens to be the truth. <laughs> <laughs> because they find out that he doesn't like sleeping on a mattress. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Like Beale like to get too comfortable. Mrs. Beale's actually able to put her bucket and sponge away because the kids stop drawing on the on the walls because now they play with Maniac and they they get along with him so well that they don't find a need to be destructive at this point anymore. Amanda can leave her books at home. <clears throat> Uh, they find out that Maniac is really good at untying knots. Yep, he's got a sneakers. specific talent for untying knots. <laughs> Certain set of skills. Yep, <laughs> yeah, he's got a very specific set of skills. 
Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Untying nuts. And running on rails. He takes baths with the kids. And, and the kids didn't want to take baths before. It was a huge fight and everything. But he goes up and he takes baths and plays with the toys with the kids and everything. So they all, the whole family's glad because this four and three year old probably don't stink all the time anymore. It says, it said the kids, when Amanda stopped taking baths with the kids, they put their hands on Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile and swore they would never take another bath. <laughs> <laughs> they swore on a kid's book. They swore on a kid's book. Would, yep. <laughs> that they would never take another bath until their sis- their older sister joined them again. Yep. And mom was able to force them, but it was a, it was a battle every time. Mm-hmm. Yep. They'd lock their arms, wouldn't let her get to their armpits and stuff. Yep. Like, uh. <laughs> I could just see that in my head. Just those kids just like chin down, just like just just mean mugging, super mean mugging their faces, just like scrouch down like, nah, you ain't getting me clean. Nah. So I just, I like that. So this is also where we learn that our hero has a weakness. Mm-hmm. And it's a weakness that I think all three of us would hate to have. I know that I know this food item is a pretty important staple of my diet. And uh, oh, yeah. during a bath, the kids start screaming downstairs. <clears throat> Mom comes running up and he's got all these red blotches. Maniac has all these red blotches on his skin about the size of pepperonis. Uh, when they took him to the doctor, he asked what they had for dinner the night before. And they say, well, pizza. And he's like... It can't be the pizza, obviously. And uh, they, they're like, this would have shown up every time he had pizza. And they, they were like, you have eaten pizza before, right? And Maniac was like, uh, and everybody was silent and their eyes got wide. And that's how we found out that Maniac McGee was allergic to pizza, which is a strange allergy. <laughs> it's got to be something doesn't in there. truly make sense. Yeah. Maybe he needs gluten-free foods. <laughs> yeah i don't know if it's a gluten allergy it doesn't i don't know it doesn't really make sense he had spaghetti with the pickwells yeah yeah yeah. right so and he eats zeps those have tomatoes and onions zeps i have to specifically pizza (laughs) i have to take a pill when i eat pizza but that's yeah but that's because you're intolerant of lactose yeah that's a lactose intolerance (laughs) that's not an allergy it doesn't make you break out in hives pepperoni hives so it's kind of a weird, uh, <laughs> weird addition to the to the legend. Could have been the pepperonis. You don't know. Could have been <laughs> the pepperonis. Yeah. So a maniac loves this new life. Uh, they bought him some new sneakers, so he doesn't have all that the floppers going on anymore. Uh, he goes out in the early mornings, like you were saying, runs the dog, and he just loves it. Nothing is bad for him. When they go to church on Sunday mornings, he loves how the the minister thumps the pulpit, as he'll say. And they all yell amen, and they swing when they're singing in the choir, singing hallelujah and stuff. And he just it makes him so happy to be there. And nobody gave him a weird look when he was yelling hallelujah, amen and stuff in the church. They're just just as happy and laughing and clapping and singing. There's a 4th of July block party where uh, there's grilled food and games and music and all kinds of great stuff going on. And he it actually specifically says here 
that Maniac loved the colors of the East End, the people colors. For the life of him, he couldn't figure why these East Enders called themselves black. He kept looking and looking, and the colors he found were ginger snap and light fudge and dark fudge and acorn and butter rum and cinnamon and burnt orange, but never licorice, which to him was real black. And he, I thought that was a really important uh, paragraph to uh, to show just how Maniac actually views race. I mean, he doesn't see people as black people. He appreciates the different shades of of their brownness, their actual colors of their skin. And right. he doesn't see himself as white because his skin isn't literally <laughs> white. He's got a very literal kind of filter of viewing white and black. Right. But uh, he doesn't separate them into these darker shades are black and these lighter shades are white and never the twain shall meet. Right. He just sees skin tone. And, and it's, it's not this idea of he doesn't see color because he does see the color. He does see right. that people have darker skin or lighter skin, but he definitely yeah, doesn't. That's exactly think my thoughts on it too. This is like people who try to say that they're that they're not racist, that they're they're colorblind. They don't see color. Well, it's not being racist is a isn't a matter of not seeing color. It's right. a matter of appreciating the variations in color. And he sees colors. Uh, he doesn't see race. That is what it is. Well, and he, he sees a see lot race. more colors than no, he. He mm-hmm. just doesn't see race. He doesn't yeah. see it as a race. He just sees colors. He doesn't. Yep. Race is a foreign concept to him, which I think mm-hmm. is Absolutely. great. Yeah, I, no, it's a know, great concept. Personally, I think <laughs> I think you know, how, the easiest way to get rid of racism is to not have races, right? But and not be dividing ourselves into different races. Uh, you know, and, and this is why it's the it's this these themes in this book are why I wish this book had more than three point three million copies sold. It's why I think it should <laughs> right. be children's curriculum. It makes sense to me that it was our fourth grade curriculum that we read this book because it just opens up this idea of you know, hey, you know, can't figure why people call themselves black because there aren't any black people here. It's all these other other shades of brown and i'm not even white i'm this shade and man i'm glad i'm not because white is a boring ass color you know (laughs) the act that's actually how he looks at it white's such a boring color you know and there's actually um a paragraph that that comes uh, um later in the book um but i think it's very related to to uh how how maniac uh actually makes distinctions uh, of, you know, two different kinds of people as it's, he doesn't really separate them between black and white. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to pull this paragraph out of context, but it says, as Maniac moved through the East End, he felt the presence of not one but two populations, both occupying the same territory, yet each unmindful of the other, one yelping and playing and chasing and laughing, the other lost and silent and dying by the millions. And I think he makes distinctions between, you know, people who just want to to play and laugh and have have a good time with each other and people who just want to sit apart from the the other people and be and keep the different people away. Right. And hold on to those those resentments between between white and black. And you know, I'm sitting here thinking as 
I'm looking down at the fact that we're 26% through this book right now. <laughs> and I'm wondering if it wouldn't do us well to, I don't know, do a two-parter or... At this point, I think we might have a three-parter on our hands. Yeah. <laughs> well, the book is split into three parts. Correct. Okay. Why don't we finish part one? Yeah, that sounds good. And then and then we'll move it into a uh, a three parter, and we're just that'll be what we do. That I think that works because it is a three part book, and we're just there's so much here, and I really there, don't yeah, want to hurry. I don't want to hurry through it. You know, I think it's such an important story, and and I don't know. I felt something reading this book. You know, mm-hmm. I read this one twice this time, and clearly this book stuck with me because I I remember reading it and wanted to read it again. Okay, good decision. So, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll we'll decide how to how to release the uh, the episodes. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, discuss we might not later. we might not need to go through with releasing it every two weeks for the three parter. We can you know yeah, we might just do it thing. next week and yeah. the week after. I'm even thinking, like, once we get to the end of this part, like, maybe we can record at another time. Anyways, yeah, we don't need to talk about that now. So, so as he's going through this summer and he's just loving it here, uh, he meets a kid who's spinning a football. And then he realizes it's hands down and hands down realizes it's maniac. And he's like, this is him. This is the kid right here. And everybody's just like, what are you, an idiot? This kid is a runt. He's not going to be able to play with us. And so Hands played quarterback, and he threw passes to Maniac all day. And if Hands could land the ball anywhere near Maniac, he would catch it if he could get two fingertips on it. And no one could no one could tackle him. He was running through, juking and jiving, and made it all the way to the end and just kept winning. And they played stickball, and... He would just pull the ball out there. Uh, they started realizing, like, man, this is that Maniac kid. Everybody kind of was like, here he is. This is that Maniac McGee. And they started teaching him about uh, trash talk. Oh, I was oh, actually going yeah, to no, say he, about uh, his nickname. Basically, he, he was getting his nickname. And when he went home, Mrs. Beal one day was like, are you that Maniac? He's like. I'm Jeffrey. And so she said inside his house, a kid gets one name, but on the other side of the door, it's what the rest of the world wants to call him. Yeah. So basically he was like, I don't want to lose my name. And the reason why is because it's the last thing he has from his parents. Right. You know, and she even mm-hmm. like she she does definitely console him with that with no, 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 you'll you'll never be anything but Jeffrey in here. You know, that's who you are. And, you know, because Mrs. Beale really. I mean, this is, these people are becoming his family for sure. Like, they care about him. He cares about them. And, mm-hmm. you know, he would do anything for them. And we we see that at some point. I mean, it's such a profound uh, statement to make. Inside his house, a kid gets one name. But on the other side of the door, it's whatever the rest of the world wants to call him. Mm-hmm. And it's just the, the reality of... Uh, you know what you want versus what how society will treat you yep what you're gonna get but he was uh becoming pretty famous in the east end everybody knew there was a white kid living around there with the beals he ran in the morning before the fathers got up for work he 
could smack a stick ball and catch a football, and he was allergic to pizza. <laughs> and uh, even little kids uh, were constantly bringing him knots, you know, whether it be in a yo-yo or a sneaker or whatever, and he could he could untie it like nothing else. Uh, bigger kids would come down there. They always wanted to test him. They wanted to see how good he was or how bad he was, rather. And uh, they wanted to know, they just wanted to know, was this kid as much as everybody's saying? And he didn't talk a lot. Hands down, did a lot of talking, a lot of the trash talk. This is where the trash talk comes in. He would he would tell them to smoke them suckers and poke them, joke them. Uh, you bad dude in it, he'd say. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, just all these different trash talking things and they'd high five and low five and, uh, Maniac loved the trash talk. He, and just somehow the way that you, you use trash talk, he just absolutely loved it. And it reminded him of church is how it puts it. Cause it had spirit and soul. And he, he got to a point where he was tra- talking trash at the best of them. But then he brought it home to Mrs. Beale and he started talking trash to her and she looked at him and was like, what did you just say? And he said a little bit more. And as it started going, she ended up slapping him in the slapping him. This shows how Maniac is also naive because he yeah. had no clue about social norms in as far as that goes. Because, yeah, you never trash talk a mom. No, no. So, <laughs> you know, he walked in. He's thinking, like, everybody does this, right? It's no big deal. We can just trash talk. And an and- East End lady in her prime? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And as soon as she slapped him, he realized he had been doing something wrong. And he said he was sorry. And he gave her a hug. And he was burying his face in her chest and just saying, I love you. I love you. And, you know, I mean, like I say... This these people have become his family and they 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 treat him like a son and he sees them as parents and sisters and brothers, you know, and uh, he loved being there. He wanted to read Encyclopedia A, but Amanda would uh, not let it go. So he started sneaking it in the mornings before she woke up. <laughs> but while Maniac loved almost everything about his new life, everything did not love him back. And that's the reality of the outside world about to come crashing down. And that's how we poor kids world. Yeah. And we find out that, you know, like we've been saying, he he's he's blind to a lot of what's going on. Uh, He sees all this stuff happening around him. He sees Mars bars always trying to tackle him or trip him or veer at him with a bike. And he could see all that, but he didn't know what that stuff meant. Uh, He didn't, he couldn't tell that Mars bar really might even have hated him. Like just absolute disdain. He got me pretty, pretty oblivious to (laughs) not see that this one dude absolutely hates your guts. Right. But I mean, the way I see it is just like with the trash talk and him not realizing that's something you don't bring home. It's almost as if like, he's like, oh, okay, here's Mars bar, Josh and me again, always messing (laughs) around. It's so easy to avoid getting tripped up and, (laughs) and tackled that, you know, it doesn't really make that much of a difference to him. Yep. Not a big deal. And, uh, you know, some some kids don't like people who are different. And 
that having to do with maybe, you know, because he's allergic to pizza or he does the dishes without being asked or he doesn't watch Saturday morning cartoons. And some kids don't like kids who are another color, you know. And but he he just could not get his head around the color business. He he couldn't he couldn't see it. He didn't see any reason to be worried about it. And he even it describes it here where he says, you know, he's not he's like there are seven different shades of colors on his own skin, and not one of them would he call white. And the only thing he saw as white is his eyeballs. But they aren't any whiter than any of the other kids in the East End. So it's back to that literal. He's so literal about it. And he didn't see it for a long time. And then all of a sudden, one day, boom, it it hit him. He realized what was happening. And uh, this is the yeah, this is the sudden sudden crashing of uh, of the whole race question just becoming apparent to him. So it starts off as it starts off. It's it's a really hot day in August. Um, you know, it's, it's so uh, all the neighborhood folks uh, opened up the fire hydrant and started playing in the in the water. And it was a really like it was a really happy scene. All the kids were were splashing in the water. People were selling lemonade and Kool Aid ice cubes on toothpicks. It's one of those sequences of uh, single word sentences that kind of that really sets a good uh, scene here. Bodies, skin, colors, water, gleaming, buttery, warm, cool, wet, screaming, happy. Yeah, that was an interesting interesting choice and it did it felt like it's like these are just the feelings this is what you see this is what's happening and Mm -hmm. it is what it is Mm -hmm. well it's almost poetry yeah which is interesting seeing as though spinelli started his writing career with a poem that's what i was getting to yep (laughs) this is a poet writing a novel yeah uh, he was having a blast. He was playing in the street with all the other kids. He would, had learned how to propel himself across the street with the jet of water. Um, and then suddenly, among all the other screaming voices, he heard a specific voice. And he didn't think anything of it at first. But then other kids and other people in the area started quieting down. And it was this weird, thick, deep voice that was trying to, uh, it sounded as though it had to fight its way through a can of worms. And the voice behind him started calling him a name. And he only turned because he was curious, because he didn't know what everybody else was staring at. And that's when he saw this brown finger pointing at him. And he started looking and noticing who uh, it was, a older black gentleman, and he called him Whitey. And he was surprised that he knew that it was definitely him that he was talking to. And this man actually said, uh, you move on now, Whitey, the man said. You pick up your gear and move on out. Time to go home. And Maniac is just kind of like, "I this is home. And the guy came up and he was like, no, 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 you go home. You go back to your own kind. He's like, I've seen you here. I've seen you at the black block party. Now get out of here. And maniacs just like still like i live here i i live right over there and like points down to sycamore and this is where the guy tells him you know it's it's never enough is it whitey just want more and more won't even leave us our little water in the street come on down to see bojangles come on to the zoo the monkey house 
And Maniac, even now, is like, is this guy not hearing what I'm saying? You know, like, I'm trying to tell you, <laughs> I live right over here. What are you talking about? And the guy tells him he's got his own kind, and that's how you wanted it, he tells him. Now, again, this is Maniac doesn't want that, not at all. But he's being put with a group of people that, you know, at this time in this book, you know, yeah, that's how people were. And uh, yeah, like Maniac is on the receiving end of a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of what this this old guy has has faced over over his uh, his long life of being a black guy and and interacting with with white people who are who are racist. Yeah, <laughs> let's face it. Yeah, well, yes. So I mean, this guy has probably faced racism his whole life, and he's had white people treating him terribly, and then here's this kid. You know, and he's just in this area where this whole time this guy's been like, we have to stay here. We've had to stay here. And now you're here, too. You know, I mean, and it's an old man. And even as it goes on, even as it goes on, somebody comes out and gets gets the old man and starts walking away. So I'm sure he's just an old man that was, you know, having a moment and stuff. But Maniac takes it to heart, and uh, he didn't sleep well that night. And the next day he got up and he went running. And when he was on his way back, all of a sudden Hester and Lester were coming up and they were telling him, like, hey, you know, let's go run some more. Let's not go back. Let's not go back to the house. <laughs> and he's like, I, yeah, I'll go with you. I just want to get a drink really quick, you know. And they were trying to pull him and tug him, and Amanda came pedaling up on her bike, and she's like, "Hey, hey, let's uh, let's go to the store. Come on, let's go do this." And he's like, "No, you know, the stores aren't open. I'm thirsty. Let's go." And so uh, he's like, "What's wrong?" And she couldn't lie to him. She didn't know. So he kind of shook loose from the kids. He runs up and he gets up to the uh, house, and there he sees Mrs. Beale is out front with her yellow bucket soap suds. And she's scrubbing the brick wall, and there's chalk on the brick wall. And she's trying to get it cleaned up as fast as she can, and he was just too early for her. And she'd only cleaned off the F, but somebody had written, Fish Belly Go Home on the house. And I think we know that was probably Mars Bar. Because he was the he only was one that one. called him that. He's the only one that called him Fish Belly. And the reason why he called him Fish Belly is because... Fishes have white bellies. Mm-hmm. So, yep, apparently that is the the way that works. So, I'm thinking that we've got like 2 hours now or pretty close to it. We are approaching the 2 hour mark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we we've got a lot we got a lot here, a lot of heavy heavy stuff. Yeah, and and, uh, and the thing is is that we're not I just tried to go ahead a little bit to see how close we were to part 2 and we've got quite a ways to go. <laughs> Yeah, there's still some uh, some important stuff to happen before we even get to part two of the book. Yeah, yeah, we got a thirteen very large plot point, <laughs> thirteen pages, and I mean the the literature is thick in this in this book. I didn't even realize until we started talking. I'm like, oh yeah, we'll be able to make it through this pretty good. And I'm like, holy cow, <laughs> no, I mean, and I don't want. I mean, there's so much not to. There's yeah. so much to talk about. Is it- there's a lot behind everything uh, from from the whole uh, legend versus reality aspect, from the whole uh, race relations aspect, from the whole concept of where home is mm-hmm. for <laughs> for Maniac. Because uh, what's written on the Beale's house, on Maniac's house, is Fishbelly go home. 
and she's confused because, well, he's found his home. It's with the Beals. Right. But that's not how the outside world uh, <laughs> views it. Like, the home for for white people is not here. Go there. <laughs> Go somewhere else, man. You don't belong. <clears throat> and it's a uh, it's a very a very hurtful thing to to do to a to a kid who is homeless and <laughs> all he wants is a home. All he wants is a is a happy home to to live in. So an address. It's so important to him having an address because he never had one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean that comes up. That that came up earlier when he mm-hmm. said he and had everything but again. an address, and it comes up again. So yeah, I think this is a good stopping point for yep. for this one because we're right before a a large part, but that itself is going to take up a lot of time. Mm. So. Yeah. So yeah, we are going to come back to this. We are going to do an episode three, part two, for uh, for Maniac McGee. And we're probably going to need a part three also. We'll see what happens. (laughs) We will see what happens. All right. So we're going to bring part one of this episode uh, to a close and just kind of tie things up. We don't have any listener mail this week. Not even from that devilishly handsome dude who who sent us mail last time. Can't believe he uh, sent you nudes. (laughs) So weird. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. (laughs) What was he thinking? Although he did look pretty good. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to send us your nudes, no, don't do that. Don't send us nudes, please. No, please, no nudes. <laughs> send, send them to josh <laughs> at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so if you want to send us. probably is very happy about that. <laughs> some guy named Josh is getting all these nudes all of a sudden. <laughs> like, what the fuck happened, man? <laughs> but if you have any, uh, any questions, any comments, any uh Anything to say to us, uh, you can send us an email to reliterated at gmail.com. You can reach us on Twitter at reliterated. Or join us on the subreddit. That's where I hang out most of the time. And that's at r slash reliterated. That would be reddit.com slash r slash reliterated if you're typing it into your web browser. And I throw some photos up on the Instagram here and there. Uh, don't really understand Instagram that well, but I will keep using it if it starts getting some kind of following. No, we're just reliterated on Instagram. Yep, reliterated. So we appreciate you sticking around with us uh, this part one of, uh, of Maniac McGee. Thank you for listening. Reliterated is brought to you by the Chocolate Milk Friends. If you enjoyed this show, please, please, please share it. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Google Podcasts, if you really must, or any podcatcher app that pulls from these sources. And we'd really appreciate your review and rating on whichever platform you use, especially if you like us, because it helps us grow our audience. Absolutely. Those reviews and the ratings uh, help a great deal because it gets our name out there for the different podcast apps. And that's the best thing you can do if you are interested and you want to help out. All right. So uh, we shall see you in part two of our discussion on Maniac McGee next time on Reliterated. Reliterated.